welcome to Fair Folk Podcast. I'm Danica Boyce. Fair Folk is a podcast exploring and sharing the sacred song and folk traditions of mostly Northern Europe. This is an almanac episode of the podcast for the time around Halloween this year, October 31st and October 28th, the full moon where this holiday would have traditionally fallen. In these almanac episodes, I share folklore and folk songs and bits and pieces of pagan history and tradition in order to help you reconnect with nourishing traditional culture, with the cycles of seasons and with embodied connection to time in its cycles and to all the other beings on the earth. The holiday of Halloween, which goes by many names, is a celebration of the beginning of winter. In both ancient Germanic and ancient Celtic calendars, the end of October and beginning of November was the beginning of the dark and cold half of the year. In these early calendars, there were only two seasons, summer and winter. Halloween on one end, as we call it, and May 1st on the other, is one of the biggest shifts marked in the ritual calendar in much of Northern Europe. In Scandinavia, this time was known as winter nights in pagan times, and it was celebrated across three days, over the full moon after the new moon, after the fall equinox. Though I don't have evidence of it specifically, it seems likely to me that Samhain, which is what this holiday was called in Ireland in pagan times and into modern times as well, was celebrated on the same full moon, which this year falls on October 28th, which conveniently also happens to be a Saturday. So many of us will be celebrating this night, whether we're aware of the magic that it holds or not. The chronicler Bede of England referred to this moon and the month of October, named after it, as Winterfeleth, the winter full moon. So indeed, for at least a thousand years, in Scandinavia, the British Isles, and Ireland alike, this full moon, upcoming, contained celebrations, sacrifices, and preparations for the beginning of winter, which officially arrives with that moon and departs again with the celebration of May, also called Beltane. When we talk about seasons in a modern context, it can be helpful to revisit what winter even means. We think of winter maybe meaning Christmas or snow or what happens after fall, while in a deeper historical context that doesn't have the same material conveniences as we do, perhaps, wintertime would have a very strong association with death. In an ancient context, and in situations where people have been living much closer to the land, and possibly still do in many areas of the world, wintertime doesn't just mean snow, it doesn't just mean moving indoors. There is a deeper spiritual context and gesture that happens in the wintertime that we see in 
folklore that begins at this time of year and carries through to the very end of winter and the end of springtime. And this spiritual gesture that occurs is a sense of moving from a space of warmth, abundance, safety, expansion on the land, the ability to move freely out of doors, the ability to easily collect fruit and or grains or nuts from the surrounding landscape, the the ability to hunt easily, and into a much more concentrated internal existence, indoors, surrounded by community members, warmed, ideally, by fire. The space of safety and familiarity becomes smaller and smaller and becomes connected with indoor spaces, with warm spaces, with gathering together to work, to sing, to tell stories, which is what the winter season is traditionally used for in northern climates. The outside world of nature and wind and sky and land in wintertime takes on an otherworldly character, a wildness, which in weather we see in wind and rain and snow and frost, inhospitable elements to humankind, but which we must nonetheless often go out into without the leaves and greenery that we're accustomed to in the landscape, the fields and forests can appear stark and abandoned and exposed to the elements, to danger, to the spirit of death and chaos, and to the open skies, which become increasingly sinister and, though awe-inspiring, rather unpleasant and unfriendly much of the time. So in Northern European folklore, and usually when I say Northern Europe, I'm referring to Scandinavia, Germanic countries, and Britain and Ireland. In these Northern countries, but not exclusively, wintertime as a whole is full of supernatural beings and rituals designed for millennia to interact with and create boundaries with and engage in respectful and highly ceremonialized ways with these beings. These beings might be gods. These beings might be monsters. They might be demons, at least in the Christian era. They can be elves and fairies. And one of the ways that we often see these performative communications with otherworldly beings is through the practice of costuming and performing and or visiting houses in the guise of animals or other non-human creatures in recent times, ghosts and the dead. You would recognize this practice in Halloween costumes that are so popular in North American Halloween celebrations, but that originated in Irish Samhain celebrations and practices of mumming. But the further that you dig into Northern European folklore, the more that you notice these guising traditions, that is putting on a guise, a disguise, these guising traditions show up all winter long. And every time that they do, they remind us of the innate connection that we feel, and which is evident in the historical record all over, that the wintertime 
is a time of connection between worlds. And so there's this phrase that gets thrown around a lot at Halloween, which I have no problem with, I think is fantastic. But I want to look at it a little closer today. And that is the expression that at Halloween, the veil between worlds is thin. And what I'm curious about this expression, this belief that we repeat and makes us feel perhaps a little thrill at this time of year, is what we mean by a world and also what we mean by a veil. I think that what is most beautiful and enlivening about the holiday that begins the wintertime and the holiday that bookends it on the other end of the year, ending wintertime and beginning summer, what's most fascinating to me about this time, most exciting and interesting, is the fact that it gives us an opportunity to examine what kinds of worlds we think exist and how we think we are allowed or able to interact with them, how much connection is possible between what we see of the human world, the superficial, visible world, the world that consistently denies its own enchantment, at least in the official narrative, and an other world which exists somewhere within reach of this world, and which at certain times and under certain conditions comes right alongside it, if it's not already there all of the time, only invisible. What I'm talking about is the other world, which is a term used in Celtic mythology most often, but can be used in the context of religious studies or mythology in general, simply to refer to a parallel world to the human world, the perceivable world, which contains beings of a supernatural nature. So these could be gods, these could be fairies or elves, they could be any kind of non-human being that has different abilities than we do. Perhaps those are desirable abilities that we would like to ask the assistance of, and perhaps they are threatening abilities that we would like to draw boundaries against and avoid. So the folklore and ritual around this time of year concerns that veil of separation, which is perhaps an illusion of separation that is lifted at this time of year. I like to think of the veil between worlds, as it's conventionally called, between the human world and this super animated spiritual world, to be more like a flexible boundary that we can become much more articulate in dealing with the more that we employ ritual as a means of communication with the enchanted world. That's to say, in the past centuries, we've come to imagine that the spirit world and the human world in popular culture, and this is leaving aside Halloween folklore for the most part, but we've come to believe that the barrier between say, heaven and earth, or hell and earth, or the world of magic and myth, that it is entirely separate from the human world. And the only major events such as death allow us to pass over it. But when we revisit folklore of Samhain, Halloween, wintertime, 
and folk magic and all the many, many, many examples of how people use ritual, charm, song, different kinds of presence and sight to engage with many worlds and many beings, the more it becomes obvious that this is a dynamic relationship and a boundary that is constantly negotiated and articulated by ourselves and the way that we practice culture and the way that we practice everyday life and engagement with seasonal change. It seems to me that the other world, as we're calling it in this episode, is always to some degree available for communication. And it's the songs and stories that we share in the winter months of enchantment, of monsters, of magical visitors from the North Pole, of trolls like Icelandic Grilla who comes to kidnap children in the middle of wintertime. These stories are what create relationship with the world itself, with the other world inside it. That is, we access the magic of the world by engaging in loving and creative relationship with it. Our winter celebrations, beginning with this one, creating ritual drama, this can even be a nativity play, the food and hospitality that we share, these are the doorways to the enchanted life. And the wintertime is when we have the time to share these cultural elements with one another and to explore them and to build them so that they can carry on into the future. The other world in Irish mythology has often been described as a land of eternal youth, where nobody ever dies and everyone is young forever. And it seems to me that the magic of the wintertime and our willingness to engage in it and recreate it for one another is the fountain of eternal youth. Because the culture that we create together in community, sharing around a fire, sharing what we have in the times when we have the least and we need to draw the closest to one another, that culture outlives us. And it allows us to live in right relationship to the world and to each other, creating nourishment not only for our human communities, but also for the world at large. The world that is enchanted and filled with doorways to other planes of existence. As long as we see the sacred as outside of the world, we are not living in the most vibrant and honest relationship with the world that we can. When we see the sacred as living inside the world, and each place as containing many doorways into it, through our belief in magic and enchantment. This is when those doorways open to us and life becomes available in its most enriched form. I've spoken on previous episodes about Halloween, about the many folk traditions and ritual inheritances we have from this time of year. So I won't go too deeply into specific examples in this episode, but I will mention that two of the primary themes of this time of year in folk tradition, both in Germanic and Celtic areas, are fire and, as I've mentioned, contact with otherworldly beings 
or the dead. And these two themes are very closely and causally related because the winter time is the time when supernatural beings, which are more powerful than us and in different ways, tend to be out on the loose, either as members of the wild hunt in Germanic mythology, a hunting troop on horseback that flies through the sky, possibly led by Odin and sometimes Frau Halla or another goddess connected with midwinter, snatching people from the landscape and generally making chaos, or whether it's the fairies of Irish and Scottish folklore who ride out in search of humans in a cavalcade intending to kidnap them, sometimes offering them as a tithe to the devil, as the fairy queen intended to do in the ballad called Tam Lin. In the Christian era, winter time and the start of winter, but also Christmas time, and again many other times through the winter season, feasts for the dead and awareness of the presence of the dead and possibly ghosts or spirits in purgatory midway between earth and heaven, these spirits, these beings, these souls were considered available for communication and much more present than they are at other times of year. And so Halloween in the Christian era, because it was such a strong pagan celebration, which I haven't mentioned yet, but fell at the time of year when both in Germanic and Celtic areas, animals were brought home from pasture. And these celebrations were likely intended to bless them and celebrate this great threshold, this transition, which is also a dangerous one because it's a time of year of enormous change. And also a time of year when many animals would be slaughtered, which I'll speak about more in next month's episode about Martinmas in November. In Christian times, the celebration of All Souls Day and All Saints Day were adopted in order to Christianize these celebrations, which featured so many otherworldly beings, and tidily to contain them within the narrative of human souls that travel only between earth and heaven, and to push aside any other beings which would now be categorized as demons within Christianity from a central focus of the festival. But as you may have noticed, if you've done any research into Halloween folklore, these otherworldly beings have stayed firmly at the center of popular celebrations of this occasion and of this season in general. As I mentioned, one of the main ways that people celebrated this transition or ritualized it was through the use of fire in ritual in some way, whether that's to carry a burning torch around the circumference of one's property, or whether it's to create an enormous bonfire, or whether, as in some places in Scotland, a village would put out all of its home fires and then relight them from a central bonfire, or whether it's to light the head of a jack-o'-lantern or a turnip lantern, as in many areas in the British Isles. Fire, at this time of year, is central because this is when the weather gets cold. It's when the frost falls, and it's when we need to create our own version of the solar radiance that we rely on in the summertime within interior spaces. And then we gather around that sun together, and we cultivate our relationships to one another and our responsibility 
for how we frame our relationship to life force. These fires have been framed through history as protecting from supernatural creatures, which of course they do. And they've also been framed as providing guiding light to the souls in purgatory within the Christian framework. Fire is life, and we cultivate it and we gather around it all winter long. So the beginning of winter with Halloween is when we first make contact with that element in a formal way and greet it and ask it to care for us over the coming months when we need it more than ever. At the beginning of September, I visited a Roman-era fort above the River Clyde in South Lanarkshire in Scotland with my friend Kirsten Milliken, who's a storyteller. And as we were sitting on the top of this mound, looking at the stones around us that used to be a huge fortification, housing at times hundreds of people, we were reflecting on what that would have felt like, what kinds of gatherings people there would have had. And Kirsten is versed in storytelling, and I study paganism a lot. And we noticed that when people talk about paganism now, one of the things that we haven't maybe explored as much as I would like to at some point in the future, and something that occurs over and over again in mythological stories, is the notion and the value of hospitality. So many of the ancient tales that describe not only human kings and queens and communities, but also otherworldly ones on visits to the other world with fairy and elf kings and queens. These stories are full of gatherings and feasts, and the ways that people behave at these gatherings and feasts, whether they open their hearts to each other or not, whether they behave in a forthright way or in conniving and sneaky ways, All of these decisions on the stage of the communal gathering, of the feast, with the assumption of hospitality, have life and death consequences, not only for the characters in the stories, but for generations to come as well. We both expressed a hope that people who are involved in reenactment and folklore and paganism and reviving traditional ways of being, that we can also revive at the same time this notion of hospitality the sensation of the feast hall, full to bursting, full of warm light, enough fire to keep everyone warm, food and drink, the sharing of stories and songs, dancing and making vows and toasts. These are the sites of traditional ritual in the winter months. It's no wonder that the feast hall shows up so much in fantasy fiction as well because it's an incredibly compelling picture and one that has existed in humankind forever. But the values behind hospitality are ones that I believe people who are interested in cultural revival would really benefit from foregrounding. And I'm not saying anybody isn't doing this already, but I think if we're going to fetishize some aspect of traditional ritual, that the notion of community and generosity might just be the most important one. When we toast to the year ahead, as is done at various 
junctures in the winter months in various cultures in Northern Europe for thousands of years, we speak the year into being and we greet it. We toast our supernatural and human communities into being when we gather together in their name. This is, to me, what lifting the veil between worlds means, because we connect with the other world precisely by connecting with this world and what is happening here and now, the changes in the air and in the land, the care of the animals who may be in the barn or may be seated in your lap, because the health of the world is our health as well. And I don't mean that in a chiding way. I mean it with the hopes of encouraging you to identify with the world and its magic. Likewise, fire, which we focus on and gather around at this time of year, is a microcosm of the sun. And our reverence for it feeds us in return. The other world lies within this world. And this full moon at the end of October. I hope you'll keep your eyes open and look around and just notice where it seems to be speaking to you. The sacred, the otherworldly, the enchanted, the sometimes frightening but also thrilling presence of difference and death in its rightful place in the cycles of the year and our own lives. In Ireland at Halloween, the fairy mounds, which are the openings to the world of fairy, or the she, are believed to be open, and this is the time when one is most likely to encounter a fairy. Stories and songs of people who fall in love with fairies or vice versa, and are sometimes invited into a fairy mound or the other world with these beings, are some of the most popular and enduring testaments to human interest in the fairy world. I'll leave you with a song from Ireland telling the story of a young man who encounters a young woman near a fairy mound. The woman seems to be a prisoner of the fairies in the mound and has only escaped for a short time when the young man falls in love with this otherworldly girl. She's compelled to return to the fairy mound and the young man, the speaker in the song, describes her shining beauty. This song, in English, is called The Smooth Hill of the Dark Woman, and the lyrics are translated in the book called The Other World, Music and Song from Irish Tradition, from the version sung by Patrick O'Kearney, and I'll read them to you, and then you'll hear Dermid O'Sullivan's version of this song. The Smooth Hill of the Dark Woman I have been a long time searching for my beloved, wandering through dark, lonely glens, sending me astray. I did not find her like, although I searched far and wide, from the streams of the countryside to brink of the river Meg. I met my love and was drawn to sit by her. I placed my hand on her breast and on her heart. She said, Now leave me, because I am not for you, because I am a sorrowful woman astray, whom you happened to meet. If you are a sorrowing woman astray, whom I happened to meet, sit here beside me and challenge every host. Are you the gentle girl of the yellow curls, 
or are you the sweet, gentle, handsome woman Paris stole from Troy? I am none of those whom you mentioned, but a quiet Irish girl from down the other side. I never lay with any man alive, and rise up from me. I am late in my return to the host. When I rose up from her slender form, her form was brighter than the snow on the branch. Was it the hosts of Knockbaron that I caught in the net? And she darted from me to the smooth hill of the dark woman. She was brighter than the snow, and than bright money. She was brighter than the gull swimming on the full lake. Her ringlets hanging down from her were beautiful, on both sides of her shoulders as they swayed with the breeze. Is father of my brother, in Lauten <laughs> Is gonna bandu her fan me o harlegudlin Augusakalin down Delser Malegumin Is Gili Nan Schnachtus Nalin Amerchen ihr Körhacker nirvadelomi that's all I have for you this episode. I wish you a very happy Halloween, and I'll be back again with another Almanac episode soon enough. I'd like to thank Sylvia Woods for providing the theme music for Fair Folk Podcast. That is her song, Forest March. I've provided a link for you to purchase the song that I played in this episode in the show notes. I've also included a link to my mailing list, which I hope you'll join if you're interested in the things that I do. 
it means a lot to me to be able to reach out to you via email when social media is not a particularly reliable means of communication between humans. And I share a lot on my mailing list with occasional seasonal updates, as well as discounts on courses and other offerings that I have going on. I've also recently moved to Victoria, BC for the winter. So if you are on or near Vancouver Island on the west coast of Canada, you can get on a special section of my mailing list for in-person events, which I plan to have several of this winter, especially those focused on seasonal song and ritual. So you can find the link to join my mailing list also in the show notes. I don't always mention it, but I also have a Patreon account that has a lot of past Almanac episodes that were never released publicly. Though I don't often update my Patreon, it is a valuable source of support for this podcast, and I very much appreciate every person who has found it in their heart to share a monthly donation there to keep my work going through time. So if you're inspired by my work and this podcast, I would much appreciate if you sign up to be a Patreon subscriber. Again, the link to become a Patreon subscriber is in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're keeping warm this autumn as we shift into the winter season. Take good care, and I'll talk to you soon.